Good morning. It's a great blessing for my family and I to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much for your prayers as a church and your support on many, many projects there in Papua New Guinea. The Lord's doing many wonderful things there, and you all have been such a blessing, whether it's when we left five years ago to help us get our land cruiser, you know, different things we needed for that, help with the staff house, the school room, the new land for the church building and church building, all those different things have been such a blessing. Well, one thing in particular, the new staff house there at the Bible College, since we had to leave unexpectedly, the fellow that moved into that house has been doing a lot of things at the Bible College to keep things going in our absence. And if he didn't have a house there, he wouldn't be there. So thanks so much for everything you all have done as a church there. And thank you, Pastor Berger, for your friendship and encouragement in the ministry there. And you might ask why we're back now. We weren't planning to be back here in the States. The Lord has blessed us with three children. Lydia is four, Levi is two, and we have one on the way named Hope. And when we were there in Papua New Guinea, she was diagnosed with anencephaly, which there's a real lack of medical care there. The hospital there didn't even have water. And she was diagnosed with that. We came back to the States. That diagnosis was confirmed, which means that she will not live for very long after birth, maybe just a couple minutes. Her brain and skull have not developed. So very difficult to go through, but we sure appreciate the prayers of God's people and just the grace God has given at this time, but we still certainly need the prayers of God's people and God's strength and encouragement. But when there's great blessings, sometimes there's great trials, and the Lord has been doing great things there in the ministry there. There's three parts to the ministry, which you'll see at this time. The first is the church planning. There's two church plants. The first one is in Sigifa in Kesasaro. That was the first church plant we started five years ago. The second one is Kapogu, which is the first thing you'll see in the video. The second part of the ministry is Goroka Baptist Bible College. There's 60 students there and over 400 graduates out across the country. And then the third part is the ministry and the Bible clubs. We're in five public schools with Bible clubs now reaching hundreds, actually thousands of students each week. So if we can go ahead and have the video at this time. Many people in Shorty's village were dying of unexplained illness. The village split as they attribute the mysterious deaths to sorcery. They said, quote, We fought with guns until our bullets ran out. Then we fought with our bows and arrows until our arrows ran out. Then we fought with our machetes. End of quote. Shorty's heart was filled with grief as his very own brother was killed. The losing side left but repeatedly attacked the village. In desperation, the refugees sought out the strongest witchcraft they could find. One day, as we heard the refugees had said, One final time we will fight with the village, and then we will all commit suicide together. We knew the time was now, or we would be too late. We prayed fervently for God to intervene. God allowed us to visit the refugees at Six Mile in the main village at Kapogu by taking in food and clothing. God began to soften their hearts, but the brutality of the fight was all too real. One man named Jan from the refugees told me, You do not understand. We looked at each other in the eye and fought with machetes. Reconciliation is impossible. Shorty, however, began to change through the preaching of the word of God. He began to encourage other people in his village to come and hear God's word. As we sought to bring medicine in, Shorty again took the lead as we worked on the bridge and road. We had countless obstacles. The chainsaw and winch broke. Heavy rains washed away the stone baskets. The land cruiser kingpin bearing went out. But God made it possible. 
Following many peace mediation meetings in December of last year, peace became a reality as both sides let us organize peaceful Christmas games and preaching. The very field they fought on years earlier, now they were playing peaceful games. Shorty led as a scoremaster and announcer. But the biggest miracle was yet to come, as Shorty led both sides to help us with the new church building at Quesasaro. I could not believe my eyes on the day Shorty and Jan, who were such staunch enemies, now work side by side on the church footers. We began the church plant in Jericho Segifa in 2015, as God opened a door through the local leader Seiko and his wife Solo. One of their relatives was an illiterate young man named Willie who was about 25 years of age. He became deathly sick with tuberculosis, and the village attributed it to sorcery, saying the witch doctor alone could heal him. Willie stopped coming to church and disappeared. Many fervent prayers were offered on his behalf. In 2018, the first grass thatch building was built for the church in Jericho. In 2019, God allowed us to purchase land for the church at Quesasaro, Segifa. Incredibly enough, this was only a three-minute walk from where Willie was now living. God answered prayer, and Willie recovered from his tuberculosis. He then made a profession of faith and trusted Christ as a Savior. Following this, he was able to enroll in literacy classes at Garoka Baptist Bible College so he could read his Bible and songbook. The footers, piers, and cement slab are poured for the church building, and all the steel is on site. We just need a team to come to help with the building and the funds to finish the inside. As academic vice president of Goroka Baptist Bible College, I've had many opportunities to work with Max, who graduated in 2019. He came from a polygamous family where his father had many wives. Though his family is a mess, God has miraculously changed his life. As he trained, he exhibited such a servant's heart. From building the academy building, new staff house, or the water filtration project, he always worked his hardest. He is now teaching our Christian academy and has become our best leader in the Bible clubs, giving the students of Goroka Baptist Bible College a vision to reach other young people for the Lord. This past year, 18 students graduated in pastoral ministries, biblical studies, and Christian education. We got to know Jera early on in the church plant. She was adopted daughter of Seiko and Solo in Segifa. She and her older sister Flora both made a profession of faith, but because of schooling, Flora moved away. Jarrah continued to be faithful. One Wednesday, she shared with a broken heart how much they wanted a Bible club teacher at her school, but there was no one. As I would pray, her plea kept coming to mind. We started the first Bible club at her school in Safa. The next was Flora's school at Segu High School, then Segu Primary, Sioke, and the most recent school, Ogo. Now Jarrah is in baptismal class at the church plant at Case of Sorrow. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for your prayers and sacrificial support. The hour has never been later, and the harvest so great. So once again, thank you for all you as a church have done in praying for us and projects and those kind of things. The Lord's doing many great things there in Papua New Guinea. And we have two needs, things we're trying to get done while we're back here in the States. One, we need more monthly support. We're trying to raise $3,000 a month for a lot of the outreaches. 
Every week we're going to try, previously we do one of the big outreaches every few months. We're going to try to start doing that every week as we try to reach into some of the other areas. So that's been done, as you saw in the video, and we got more pictures out there on the table through welding classes, carpentry classes, food outreach, and sports camps. Then another need we have is also for a tractor for the Bible college and then also to work on the roads and those kind of things. And I know people say if it's not green, it doesn't run. But we're not real particular. We just need something with four wheels that, that can help us there with the work on the roads and in the Bible college. But once again, thank you. And it's just a privilege to serve the Lord. You know, we all have a part, whether it's here or overseas. But when we're faithful in the part that God has given us, the Lord's work can go forward. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. And the Bible says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy and honor and privilege to be with your people this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the joy in partnering in your work around the world. Father, thank you that there's People in Papua New Guinea that one day will be together for all of eternity in heaven. And Father, people here might not have met them, but one day we, they will. And I just thank you for that, Father. I pray that as we look into your word, Lord, help each and every one of us in our spiritual lives to be awake spiritually. Help us to awake to righteousness, to grow in our Christian lives, and to serve you with a new and fresh passion and vision. Lord, I pray that I'd be a clean vessel that you can use for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we love you and trust you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Corinthians, as Apostle Paul writes the book of Corinthians, we know there's a lot of issues in the Corinthian church, a lot of issues with adultery, fornication, you know, chapter 5. Lots of things going on in the Corinthian church. But as he comes to the end of 1 Corinthians, he comes to chapter 15, he challenges the Corinthian believers to awake, awake to righteousness. And as we look in particular at chapter 15, the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Paul shares his testimony, how he got saved, how he got to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. The middle to end of this chapter is a great chapter on the resurrection, the hope we have as believers. But look with me back at verse number 8. The Apostle Paul, as he begins to share his testimony, he says, And last of all, he was seen to me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. The Apostle Paul, we know before his name was Saul. He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to kill the Christians, imprison the Christians. And on the road there, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him. One of the requirements to be an apostle is that they had to see the risen Lord. He was the last one to see the risen Lord. But as you think about that for the apostle Paul's life, he said that he wasn't worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted Christians, because he killed Christians. He said in the book of Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. You know, the apostle Paul saw where he was in his life before he knew Christ, before he was saved. And he saw how God worked in his life to bring him to the point of salvation. Look at me in verse 10. The Apostle Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. 
But I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. For every one of us in our Christian lives, every day with God is a grace day. There's not one day that we need less of the grace of God or one day that we need more of the grace of God. Every day we need God's grace. It's God's grace and God's mercy. And the Apostle Paul said he was what he was by the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, he never would have got saved. But God had a plan for his life. And the Apostle Paul said that grace that God bestowed on his life was not in vain. You know, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, for those of us that by faith have trusted Christ, have asked Him to forgive our sins, we've asked Christ to live in our hearts, has what God done for us been in vain? I hope not. I hope that we're serving God. I hope that we're living our lives for God. Look at me again at verse 10. The Apostle Paul said, But I labor more abundantly. Why did he labor more abundantly? Because he recognized the grace of God in his life. As we recognize, as we see what God has done for us in our lives, it makes us want to serve God more passionately, more fervently, wholeheartedly, because we see what God has done for us. Look with me in verse 34. Verse number 34, the Bible says, Awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. For us as God's people, God wants us to be awake spiritually. When Christ comes back, will he find us awake or will he find us sleeping? The first call to righteousness is the call to salvation. If we don't know Christ as our Savior, we can't live righteously. We have to have Christ within us. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, that's Christ working in our lives, the Holy Spirit filling us, indwelling us, working in our lives. We can't live righteously if we don't have Christ in our lives. But as we serve God, as we grow in our Christian lives, you might be saved, you might have Christ in your life, but at different times in our lives, God will give us wake-up calls. God will give us wake-up calls in our lives because there's things He wants us to do. There's things God wants us to accomplish in our Christian lives. We're not just here to pass time until we slip into eternity, we slip into glory, but we need to serve God in our Christian lives. You know, I think about my own life. I was saved as a young man. I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be my Savior. But there's been many times where God has given me wake-up calls. Where God has said, Tim, in your Christian life, you need to fix this. You need to change this. I want you to do this. And in our Christian lives, we obey God today. God will show us the next step tomorrow. And you know, so many times through my life, I never dreamed I was going to be a missionary. That, as a young man, as I grew up, I never thought I was going to be a missionary. I didn't even want to go to Bible college. I grew up farming in Lancaster County here. And I enjoyed doing that. There was no way I planned to go to Bible college. I thought when I finished 12th grade, I was done with school, and that was it. But the Lord called me to go to Bible college, and I obeyed that step. Then the Lord worked in my heart and life. I took a short-term missions trip. Then the Lord called me into missions, but it was one step at a time. And then as I served the Lord, was called into missions, was preparing to go to Papua New Guinea full-time, wasn't married, was single, and praying, you know, Lord... Please give me someone that has a heart to serve you in Papua New Guinea. And I was in a church in a missions conference, and one of the other missionary families there, a missionary family to Greece, they said, Tim, they said, we have something we're going to give you. 
And they said, we're going to give you a prayer card. But if we give you this prayer card, you have to agree to email this young lady. And I took one look at the prayer card, and that was an easy decision. And I, I sent an email to Leandra, and she was also a single missionary headed to Papua New Guinea. Only God could do that. And as you obey God one step at a time, God will open the next door. Obedience today brings blessing tomorrow. But verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. Righteousness covers what we say, what we do, what we think, how we act. Righteousness covers every part of our lives. Just like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, God wants us to be holy because he is holy. We serve a holy God. I think about there in Papua New Guinea, as we were serving God, it didn't mean we didn't know God. It didn't mean that we weren't trying to serve him, but God gave us wake-up calls. When, as you saw in the video, the village of Kapogu, when we heard about the fighting, I still remember that Sunday we heard, they were telling us, they were, at that point, they weren't sure how many people had died, but it was probably at least nine men had died. And they were telling us about the fight that happened just one mountain over. That was a wake-up call. We knew about the need, but the door still wasn't open to go in. A few months after that, when we heard about the refugees, the people that had fled the village, they had absolutely nothing. I mean, the most destitute people I've ever seen. They, I mean, they didn't even have shelter. When it was raining at night, they'd stand up underneath a banana leaf and try to keep as dry as they could. And when we heard that they were so desperate they were going to commit suicide, that was a wake-up call. And that's when God opened the door to be able to go in. When we heard about, in the last testimony in the video, Jira's testimony, when she raised her hand on a Wednesday night during prayer request time and said, would you please pray that we could have a Bible club teacher in our public school? That was a wake-up call. That was God saying there's an open door here. It was an opportunity to awake to righteousness. Interestingly enough, the door was wide open. But what did I need? A wake-up call. I needed to awake and take advantage of the opportunity. In your Christian life, are you asleep spiritually or are you awake spiritually? You know, I think about for America, I think COVID was a wake-up call. I truly believe COVID was a wake-up call, but I don't know if America ever woke up, so to speak, spiritually. I think there's a lot of people in our nation that are still asleep spiritually. And wake-up calls come and they go, but it's up to us to awake spiritually and to serve God with our lives to live righteously, to live holy lives for God. Look at me at Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. A well-known verse, but the Word of God says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. A just person, a righteous person, a holy person, how are they to live? By faith. In our Christian lives, we live by faith. What can keep us from waking up spiritually? There's different things in our lives. Stress, sin, anger, different things in our lives can dull us spiritually. You know, if you're physically hungry... Are you going to be at your best physically? No. If you're physically hungry, you'll be weak. Spiritually, if we're not spiritually fed, we're going to be weak spiritually. We won't be able to awake. 
Look with me in the second part of verse 34. It says, awake to righteousness. And then those next three words, and sin not. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We all have temptations in our lives. You have temptations in your life. I have temptations in my life. And the same temptation I face in Papua New Guinea might not be the same temptation you face here. But it's still a temptation to sin. It's still a temptation to do what is wrong in the Lord's sight. God wants us to live holy. God wants us to live righteously. I remember in Papua New Guinea when COVID hit... You know, there's, we were there, we were talking about it, Leandra and I would talk about it, and we'd say, is this virus really going to shut down the world? And we'd say, no, there's no way. It's not going to come to Papua New Guinea on an island off the coast of Australia. Well, guess what? COVID came to Papua New Guinea. And guess what? COVID really did shut down the world. We couldn't believe it. It didn't really affect us too much in the church planning ministry, but it affected us in the Bible college ministry and the Bible clubs. Both of those were shut down for a time. And there was a lot of confusion. You think you don't know what's happening here in America. There was a lot of confusion in Papua New Guinea. And we would get so many conflicting things and what people were saying. And the people were so confused. The government said they were going to do a two-week lockdown. Well, that sounded really good. But when you live in a grass hut, I mean, that's just brilliant. You know, you're not going to leave your grass hut for two weeks. And... They sent out the message, but the people in the, like way back in the bush, they didn't even get the message until the two weeks was over. I mean, it just caused so much confusion. When we had to close the Bible college down, we had to take the students back to their village because they said no public transportation. So we were trying to take the students back. The police were stopping us every few, you know, every time we passed through another village, another roadblock. They stopped me. I finally got going again. I wasn't even 30 seconds down the road. They stopped me again. But this time they had a huge water pump, a four-inch hose, like a fire hose. I was like, what are they going to do? And they, basically they said, you know, the government said wash your hands. So we figured that included the car tires too. And just unbelievable. I was like, well, you can wash the whole car too if you want to. But, <laughs> but a lot of confusion in Papua New Guinea. And sometimes in our Christian lives we'll have temptations come where we don't expect them. Sometimes temptations... You know this is a weak area in your life, and you know to expect a temptation. But sometimes temptations come when you least expect them. And that happened the very end after we, you know, we'd gone through our two-week lockdown. The schools had been closed for actually probably 10 weeks after that. It was a total of about 12 weeks. The Bible clubs had all started. The last one that was in the video, Ogo, the newest school we were in, that was the only one that hadn't started. And finally we got there after checking and checking and checking with them. The school was going again, and that's not a very big school. There's about 200 students, but they give us the entire school. And so I got one of the Bible college students started with third and fourth graders. I was going to take the fifth and sixth graders. He started with his lesson, got him going. Then I walked down the fifth and sixth grade room to start Bible club. And one of the teachers, his name is Mr. Nagamiso, and he came charging out of the classroom at me which is very unusual for Papua New Guinea because they're a shame culture. They like to show, you know, respect. They don't want to be embarrassed, those kind of things. And he said to me, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm here for a Bible club like like we always are. And he said, well, you're not having Bible club today. 
he said, didn't you hear about that thing? And he's trying to think. And he goes, that, that virus thing. And I said, COVID. He said, yeah, didn't you hear about that? I said, yes. I said, of course I heard about it. And he said, well, you're not having Bible club. You're not allowed to. And I said, well, I said, you know, I don't want to cause any problems, but, you know, there's no issues. And, you know, we always have Bible club. And he said, absolutely not. I, and I thought to myself, wow. And I said, well, if that's really how you feel about it, I said, I can just go and sit on the grass and, you know, wait for school to finish and then I'll go back. He said, you better believe you're just going to sit there and do nothing. And, you know, by that point, I wasn't feeling very sanctified anymore. And there's, there's all kinds of things that were going through my mind. You know, I mean, he didn't even know what the virus was called. You know, there's so much confusion there. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of things I could say and just embarrass him in front of the kids and, you know, those kind of things. But I thought, what did God's word say in verse 34? It says, and sin not. And I thought to myself, you know, I just need to be quiet and just sit there. And that's what I did. I sat on the grass, third and fourth graders, other Bible college student, finished them. They had their class. He didn't change, Mr. Nagamiso didn't change his mind. And we left. And so I was praying, Lord, you know, what, what do you want to say? And so the Lord gave us the idea. We were making cloth masks at the Bible college. We gave cloth masks to the students, but especially to Mr. Nagamiso's class. And gave them to him on Friday. And next week, went back for Bible club. All the teachers came out. Everyone thanked us. You know, Mr. Nagamiso said, all right, you're fine. You can have Bible club today. Well, I found out Mr. Nagamiso didn't have a problem with COVID. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. And he did not want us there teaching the Bible. And you think about it. If I had lost my testimony that day, if I had lost my temper with him, I probably would have closed that door forever with that Bible club. And for us as Christians, God says, awake to righteousness. God wants us to live righteous, holy lives. God says, and sin not. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The word of God says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, verse 1 talks about the great cloud of witnesses. That's Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. How many great heroes of the faith that lived by faith? Just like verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. If we're to live righteously, justly, we're going to live by faith. But it says in the middle of verse 1, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know what that looks like in your life, and I know what that looks like in my life. Don't fall into the devil's snare. Don't fall into the devil's temptation. The devil's trying so hard to take Christians out of the Lord's service. The devil's trying so hard to ruin Christians' testimonies. Keep your testimony for God. If you're not righteous, you're not going to have a testimony for God. Character is what you are when nobody's looking, as it's been said. We have to have character. We have to have righteousness. We have to have holy lives as God's people. Turn with me just a few chapters over. Hebrews chapter 10 
and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I know there's COVID has caused great issues, and I know there's many people that can't come out because of health concerns and those kind of things, and that's completely understandable. But if we're able to come to church, we need to be in church. We need accountability in our lives. If, we're, if we want to live truly righteous lives, holy lives for God, we need accountability. If we don't have that accountability to our pastor, to God's people, it's going to be so easy to just drift off and get sidelined in our Christian lives. But as we read God's Word each and every day, we pray, we hear God's Word preached on Wednesday and on Sunday, we'll grow in our Christian lives. God doesn't want us to be in the same place that we were one year ago that we are today. God wants us to grow, to grow in righteousness, grow in holiness, draw closer to our God. Look at me at the end of verse 34, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Word of God says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. For some have not the knowledge of God. There's people all around the world that don't know God. There's people right around here. There's people in our state. There's people in our country. There's people in China. People in Australia. People in Papua New Guinea. People that don't know God. And if we don't live righteous, holy lives, how are they going to hear about God? There is a young lady. Her name was Foya. We got to know her right after... The church moved from up in Jericho of Segifa and moved down to Quesasaro of Segifa and moved down there. We acquired that property. Foya lived right across the street in a grass hut. Her and her other siblings, six other siblings, she made seven. She was about 14 years of age. And she was always faithful. Whatever we were doing on the church property, Foya was there. It could be, you know, we were just trying to cut the grass off the property. She was there. It could be pulling weeds. She was always faithful. When we tried to pour the concrete slab, she was there. We had to get the first 600 bags of stone came out of the river. So we dug the stone out of the river, put it in the land cruiser, hold it up. We poured 66 cubic yards of concrete by hand. But Foya was there, just working as hard as she could. But she was somebody that didn't know God. Though she was working her hardest, she still hadn't made a decision to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. And Foya came to us and she said, she said, please, is there anything you can do to help my mother? She said, my mother is very, very ill and looks like she's going to die. And here in the United States, you know, we have a lot of medical care and things that are easily treatable here are a death sentence in Papua New Guinea. And we took her mother to the hospital, but the hospital wasn't really able to help. They said, you know, we don't know. The veteran missionaries, Bill and Laurie Smith, do a medical clinic. They have that, and they see about 150 people a day through the clinic. We took her there. They said, there's nothing we can do. It was probably cancer is what she had. And just a few weeks after that, Foya's mother died. And her father, he'd left the family. He came back just a couple weeks before his wife died, but just absolutely no hope in this family. We were there, prayed with the family, spent time with the family, but just had not accepted the Lord, you know, as their Savior. When it came time for the funeral, the graveside, in Papua New Guinea, they have what's called house cries. There's just, 
incredible amount of weeping and crying. I mean, you can literally hear it hundreds and hundreds of feet away, just the weeping and the crying. And as it came time for Foya's mother to be buried, Foya was just rolling in the dirt. And for about 30 minutes, just rolling there in the dirt, she finally rolled over to her father, who was just standing there, and he, all he did was just kick her away. I just couldn't believe it. But you see somebody that has no hope. Why? Because they didn't know God. They don't have a knowledge of God. And we continue to pray for Foya, asking God to work in our life, that Foya would get saved. Then obviously we had to come back to the States here unexpectedly. Foya still hadn't trusted Christ, but we were praying fervently for Foya to get saved. And one of the local men, his name is Pastor Jack, he moved in from several hours away, but he's now president of the Bible College there. He's doing a great job. He's filling in at the first church plant for us there as we're gone. I called him on the phone. I was talking to him, and he said, Guess what, Brother Tim? Guess who got saved? Who do you think got saved? Foya got saved. Foya made a profession of faith and trusted Christ as her Savior. And that's someone that didn't have a knowledge of God, but now they have a personal knowledge of God. They know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there's people all around the world that need to know God. We need to live holy, righteous lives for God, and they might get saved. You know, we have a great need there in Papua New Guinea for missionaries too. There's 830 languages in the country. We, we do the ministry in Talk Pigeon, which is a trade language. Very, very easy to learn, but we can minister to many people. But there's also many people we can't reach. And they're constantly asking for missionaries. And it's unbelievable. There's such a need, such an open door. There's literally hundreds of public schools that could have Bible clubs started in them. But we need more missionaries, more laborers. People to serve God on the foreign field. Look with me again at verse 34. The word of God says, Awake to righteousness. Sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, twice in the book of 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul uses those words, to your shame. But once here in verse 34, you know, the Corinthian believers, they knew better. They knew to live righteous, holy lives. You know, as we think about our country, as we think about America, what country has sent more missionaries around the world than America? But would you call America a righteous nation anymore? Is America a righteous country? America knows better. We know as Americans that we should be living righteous lives before God, holy lives before God. But as a country, we're not. And that's to our shame. As America can do much better for God and for his name than we're doing today. Verse 34 says, awake. Awake to what? Righteousness. What are we to do? We're not to sin. Why? Because some have not the knowledge of God. I remember as we were doing outreach in one area, Samongo, the little village name is Hapatoka. The Lord worked in a marvelous way for us to be able to get into that area. The big village chief, his name was Papa Avio. He made a profession of faith right before he died. And I don't, they don't know when they were born. They have no idea how old they are. But he could remember World War II. He was just a tiny little boy, but he could remember it. So very elderly. Typical life expectancy is like 55 or 60 years of age there. So he had great respect in the community. And when he made a profession of faith, you know, he basically opened that whole area for us to be able to go in and preach. And every night of his house cry, they let us go in, preach to the whole village. It was incredible. But through that, his son-in-law, Smith, got saved. 
And his son-in-law, Smith, made a profession of faith. And when his son-in-law got saved, you know, we were able to uh, weekly, we'd go preach right out front of his house. You know, any of the village people that wanted to come, they could come. And we were preaching, and one day Smith said, he said, Tim, he said, there's something I want to tell you. And just the way he said it made me think what he's going to say is really important. And so I said, go ahead. I said, what do you want to tell me? He said, well, and basically what he said is, I just want to let you know you're finally doing the job of a missionary. And I thought, finally doing the job of a missionary? What is that supposed to mean? You know, is he trying to give me a compliment? Is he trying to rebuke me? Is he, what is Smith saying to me? But I thought about it, and you know what? We had preached in many other areas, but we hadn't preached to him. He hadn't heard the gospel. But when he heard the gospel, he got saved. And we finally did the job of a missionary because we brought the gospel to him. And you know, there's people all around the world that don't have a knowledge of God. They're waiting to hear. There's people I come in contact with in Papua New Guinea. There's people you come in contact with here. And we each need to do our part to witness and to share the gospel with them. But if we're not living righteously, if we're not living holy lives, we're not going to be able to do our part to be a witness and a testimony to them. Look with me at the end of this chapter as Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection. Look with me in verse number 51. The Apostle Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. What is that talking about? That's the rapture. The rapture is imminent. At any time, Christ could come back. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be 20 years from now. We don't know when Christ is going to come back. But when Christ returns, we need to be found awake spiritually. Not sleeping, but awake and living righteous lives. Verse number 54 says, So when this corruptible shall have put out incorruption, and this mortal shall have put out immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. For us as believers, we have victory. Victory through Christ. We have the hope of eternal life. And it's not, it's not a hope, it's a guaranteed promise. We have absolute certainty that we'll spend all of eternity with our God and our Savior. In verse number 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we live our Christian lives, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ's strength. It's daily through Christ. We crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, and we put on Christ in our lives. We live in the power and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for so much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God wants us as his people to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I want to share one last illustration, one last story. There is a young man at the Bible college. His name was Wilbert. A very strong young man, very faithful. Wilbur went through a lot of difficulties in his life. 
Wilbur never met his father. His father died at a young age. At least that's what his mother says. We're not really exactly sure what happened, but never met his father. His mother would do the best she could to help send him to Bible school, help with his school fees, but she just had very limited resources. You know, so many of them come from the village. And she was trying to raise chickens to help with his school fee, and then some other people didn't like what she was doing and stopped her from selling chickens, and Wilbur just really struggled. You know, for some people, it's easy to live the Christian life. For some people, it's very hard. And Wilbur just had many difficulties, but very faithful. Whenever I go on ministry, Wilbur was always there. I always take one of the young men with me, whether I'm going on outreach or Bible club or preaching. And Wilbur was always faithful. Some of the harder things we did, like building the bridge to Kapogu, those kind of things. I mean, Wilbur was there. Whether we were trying to pull the land cruiser out of the mud, Wilbur was there. It takes 10 people to pull a land cruiser, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but Wilbur, just faithful. Wilbur left for school break, went to his village. He, he came back after three weeks, and I was really looking forward to having Wilbur's help again. And I saw Wilbur across the campus, and as I looked, he was walking really funny. And he was just basically dragging one leg behind the other. And I yelled to Wilbur, you know, hey, what happened? And he said, well, he said, Brother Tim, he said, I was in the village, and he said I was riding a bicycle. Well, that was all he had to say, because half of the bicycles in Papua New Guinea have no brakes. And he went on to explain how he was driving down the mountain, and he tried to stop. I think he tried to put his foot on the tire, but his foot got caught in the spokes. And he just, he just flipped right over the handlebars, flipped over the handlebars, cut his hand really bad. But what really messed him up was he hit his knee on a stone and split his kneecap. The kneecap dropped down so far that if he bent his leg, you could put your whole hand in his knee. And, you know, for us here in the States, we could have surgery. You know, we could have it wired together again, those different kinds of things. But there in Papua New Guinea, I mean, he has very few options. There's so few people that can actually get a surgery done. He, got, he did get an x-ray, which, I mean, that just showed us the obvious. But there was no way for him to have surgery. And so Wilbert was still faithful going to class. I'd see him, you know, struggling to try to walk to the chapel, walk to the classroom. And I talked to him a number of weeks later, and I said, Wilbur, I said, I'm going to Kapu today, you know, as we normally do, and just hoping at least he'd pray for me. And he said, well, Tim, he said, you know, obviously I haven't been able to go, but he said, I'm going to go today. And I said, Wilbur, I said, you know, we drive part of the way, and then the rest of the way we have to hike up the mountain. There's no way you're going to be able to go today. And he said, no, he said, I'm going and I said, Wilbert, I said, there's no way. You know, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to carry this guy up the mountain. And, and Wilbert says, no. He says, don't talk to me anymore. He said, I'm going. And I said, okay. And it was a blessing because I didn't have anyone else to go with me that day. Almost every time I have one of the guys are free, but no one else was free that day. And I don't know if Wilbert knew that too, but he said, he's going. He got in the front seat. You know, he could hardly bend his leg. One leg's normal and the other leg's just sticking out straight. We got to where we had to start walking, parked the car, and it's taking us about twice as long as normal. But he's still moving. He's going very slow, dragging one leg behind the other. And as we got closer to the mountain, he said, he said, this is where it's going to be really hard. It's harder for me to go, you know, uphill, downhill. It's easier when it's level. And we started to walk up. I was watching Wilbert. And then as we got, you know, partway up, Wilbert fell. And he didn't fall far, but I could tell it really hurt him. He fell about five or six feet. But you know what Wilbert did? He got back up, and he made it to the top of the mountain that day. 
And for us in our Christian lives, we need to awake to righteousness. If we've fallen spiritually, we need to get back up. We need to get back up and serve God. And though Wilbur's had many obstacles, he's still faithful, still serving God. Remember what verse 58 says? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for so much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would be awake spiritually, that we would be living righteous, holy lives, not, Lord, in our strength, but in your strength, through Christ within us. Lord, I pray that we would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work. Father, and there's any of us here this morning that don't know you, I pray that today might be the day of salvation. Father, if there's someone that's maybe fallen down in their Christian life and need to be, get back up again spiritually, Lord, help them to stand up and serve you today. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that our heart would be in tune with your Holy Spirit, that how you would have us to awake to righteousness, what you would have for us to do next, so we might do that through your strength and through your power. Lord, with all of our hearts, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.